0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: G'day there and welcome to the Country Hour. Dan Fitzgerald with you for the program today where you're going to hear from Cattle Australia, the peak body for grass-fed cattle producers, which is calling on the federal government to scrap its proposed
2: biosecurity levy. We need a clear understanding of where this money is going to be spent, and we're after a a, a long-term and and genuine engagement with with producer groups around where this money is spent and how it's going to be accounted for.
1: Yeah, this levy, it is proposed to raise about $50 million a year from ag producers right across the country, and we'll be talking about it soon. Also today, you're going to meet the Territorian who is overworking in Afghanistan to help local farmers find alternatives to opium poppies.
3: That's been a big part of analysing the crops, um, building the markets, and then uh, linking the the businesses to the farmers um, to give them a real alternatives and working out what are the what are the alternatives that can actually offer the similar rate of return.
1: Yeah, he's got some incredible stories to tell about his work in Afghanistan with farmers there, and you'll hear that on the Country Hour today. First up, let's talk weather. Though there's. A so tropical low is still hanging out about in the top end. It is extending from about Catherine all the way down into the Tennant Creek region and the Barclay. There's also a flood warning out for the Daly River. The river level at the police station, it is at about 12.2 metres and rising, so minor flooding is currently occurring at the Daly River Police Station, but with further rainfall for the next few days and a bit more rain upstream overnight, moderate flooding is predicted for this afternoon. I spoke earlier with Stewie at the Daly River Barra Resort, and asked him what he saw when he took a drive around the region this morning.
4: Uh, well, I went down Woolly Road towards the boat ramp this morning. The water's over the road from uh, Bamboo Creek there. Probably, I, don't, I didn't go down too far. I it was probably about, uh, probably about 400, I suppose, over Bamboo Creek, or the little causeway just before it. Um, and then I went the other way. I went over the main bridge, heading, um, heading west towards Port Keats. You can't get very far over there. Then that's all, all that high road there is all under water now. Um, and then uh, went back out the other way and uh, um, it's all good out uh, the road out seems all right but uh, there's local rain around that can change fairly rapidly at this time of year
1: and paint us a picture for those who've never seen the daily river in flood what does it look like
4: uh well when well, it gets to this point it sort of the rise slows down a little bit because it spreads out so much so virtually what it's doing now is it's just been out into the all out into the floodplain is where we live on a floodplain so it's all filling up so it's crossing all the all the causeways and all the little bridges and all um all got water running underneath and flood out all over the roads to um go out and fill up the floodplains. So once everywhere you go around here at the moment, sort of uh, uh under the high roads around the bridges, that's just water on both sides of the road and all the water flowing under the, all the bridges like all sort of the floodplains there at the moment up here. Um all the creeks down further will be all um all running backwards into the filling up the floodplains before we want for the for the fish to breed up and for a good fishing season. So we're a bit strange around here. We like it getting, um, getting wet, so it's all good.
1: And the Daly River is predicted to reach the moderate flood level sometime this afternoon. Um, how are you feeling about all of that? Are you prepared and ready for that?
4: Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're on a pretty high block here. Like We get flooded in, but uh, we've got our own generators. We've got plenty of food here. Uh, we've got everything we need. Um, we sort of don't um, – we sort of have to be fairly self-reliant out here anyway. Um, we're a long way from anywhere, anyway. So we sort of got everything we need. There's my wife and I and the family here. And there's, there's quite a few – most people who live on of Road who are now nearly cut off um, because of the Wally's Causeway. Um, it's um, – everyone's sort of, you know, just sitting still, just watching the world go by. Everyone's sort of – it's not our first radio, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a, a yearly event, hey?
4: Oh yeah, it happens every year. It's quite, it's, it's very strange how the season has. We haven't had a lot of real big wets. We had a good wet last year, and then we had a bit of a drill spell before that, but uh, over the years, but uh, hopefully this year's another good one. was shaping up to be another good one, so, uh, but yeah, this is where we live. we are just got to live with it.
1: And you've been uh, at a bit of a meeting with emergency authorities. Uh, what are you hearing about what to expect over the next few days with the river?
4: Oh, their their prediction is it's oh they so far they're not far off it. They they um they forecast um uh, moderate um money yesterday last night, which we got to. I uh, expect it to go the next level up at thirteen ten, probably tonight. It, it probably will it probably will move that, but then they um, but then major I don't, I don't they, they do forecast a may it may reach major depends on rainfall, but as uh, that all just depends on rainfall. We know uh, at the moment it's uh, and it just depends on what happens and where the rain falls from now on. So, um, we as I said we've been getting we're just shy six hundred milli out of this rain event. Um. Uh, we're probably over that now after last night, but we were getting, you know, 100 or I think we got 230 mil one night, and 100 mil another night, uh, and then last night we only got 9 mil, so um, that's that, but that's here, um, but, but it rained well, elsewhere, so it'll just depend on where it fell and how much fell and if it's going to get any wider than this.
1: And what does this big rain and the flood mean for the barra fishing later in the year?
4: Oh, well, that's the secret to it all. You've got to have a heap of water to get up in the floodplains where they say the fish have got places to breed and the bait's got pl- um, plenty of places to breed up. And, and then when they, when the river starts to go back down again, it'll hopefully the bait's growing up and they come out and the barra cannot be the bait that's come off the billabong. That's the long and the short of it all. Well, anyway, it's a pretty simple process, really.
1: Well, stay safe with uh, all of this flooding, Stewie. Thanks for having a chat with the Country Hour.
4: No worries, mate. All the best. You, you stay high and dry wherever you are or get, and uh, or maybe might see you up here for a barra fish one day.
1: Yeah, cheers. Take it easy.
4: No worries, mate. Thank you.
1: Hey Stuart Brisbane. He's at the Daly River Barra Resort. I was speaking with him earlier this morning. Yeah, there is a, a minor flooding occurring at the Daly River around the police station. Uh, the river level there is currently 12.89 metres and steady according to the Bureau's website, um, but there is still uh, more water coming from downstream. So the river is expected to rise to a moderate flood level come this afternoon. So uh, please do stay safe if you are in that region. It is 22 to 1 here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, broadcasting on ABC Digital right across the Territory on the ABC Listen app as well. And uh, it's not the only river in flood uh, this afternoon, in The Daily. There's also a flood warning out for the Victoria River. Plenty of water in that catchment over the last few days. Uh, we're joined in the studio now by Annie Brown, who's been chatting with a few people in the Victoria River region. Uh, what's happening?
0: That's right, Dan. Yeah, I've been on the phones uh, all this morning trying to paint a picture of what's happening out of the Victoria Highway. Uh, called into the Victoria River Roadhouse, They um, told me that the water has gone up over the bridge there, so it's flowed up very high. That bridge is 19.5 metres tall. So yeah, you can expect at least it's at least nineteen point five meters high that river at the moment, and yep. probably a bit more.
1: And a couple of hundred meters wide at that yeah. point. Yeah, very huge.
0: big at the moment. Um, so that highway, the Victoria Highway, has been closed for the last few days now. That we've been talking about here on the country. So obviously that continues. So uh, the road uh, towards uh, Timber Creek and towards the West Australian border there, it's, in, it's you can't pass through. Obviously on the highway, the Victoria Highway.
1: Yeah, and it's closed from just outside of Catherine. Yeah. So uh, just the Manblue Airfield Access Road. So yeah, pretty much the entire length of the Victoria Highway. So if you were planning to head west from Catherine, uh, it's a no-go at the moment. No
0: go at all at the moment. Also, uh, been talking to Mel, the staff member at the Vic River Roadhouse. She's the only staff member at the mo- there at the moment. She said she started only a few weeks ago, so she's new as well. Lots to do. Um, but she said this morning uh, a helicopter... Uh, dropped in at the roadhouse and dropped off three people who had been stuck in the floodwaters and they had to be rescued out. So, the story that Mel told me uh, was that it was a heli muster helicopter that got out there and picked up at least three people uh, one truck driver who apparently went in to collect someone in a car who got stuck in the floodwater and then got stuck themselves. Wow. So, uh, they said. Uh, Mel said that they'd been out there for at least five hours before the helicopter arrived. So they were looking pretty happy to be out of that situation and back on dry land. Uh, so they came to the Vic River Roadhouse and now they've been on their, sent on their way to Catherine as well. did get in touch with Careflight, who confirmed that, yeah, they'd been alerted to a truck that had been stranded in floodwaters along that highway. Um so it sounds like everybody's out and on their way to help. Uh, also been in touch with Muster, the company that went and picked them up. Their pilot is back out circling around, I guess, making sure that nobody else needs help out there at the moment. But it said, yeah, it, the people were standing on top of the roof of the truck Oh wow! when they got there. And they were very happy to see the helicopter. Uh, and so, yeah, a very busy morning along the Victoria Highway today. Um, Helly muster also mentioned there that the Telstra phone tower is also out at the moment in that region as well so
1: yeah i 've heard reports that uh, down in Kakaringi as well there isn 't um, any reception there, and that means that the bureau. Of meteorology is not getting any river level, river level readings from that region as well, yeah, um, and right. nor is it getting any for the Victoria River Crossing. Um, if you go onto the Bureau's website at the moment, it's not displaying an accurate picture. It says that the river is below the bridge but that's not the case right now it is well and truly up above the victoria river
0: yeah so hard to stay in touch and i guess organize some emergency responses with no phone reception there so an ongoing issue for that area as well um but also have been in touch with the nt police and emergency services who um has been a bit of talk that might be a bit more information about this rescue out of the floodwaters coming a bit later on today so we'll keep you updated to find out more
1: great thanks for the update annie Annie Brown there telling us what's happened out in the Victoria River region. I've also seen some images of the Bradshaw Bridge this morning that is out to the west of Timber Creek. And, yeah, the river at... Well, the last image I saw was about 6.30 and the river was lapping at the underside of the bridge. So um, I imagine at some point in the next couple of days it's likely to go over that bridge. Hi, this is Robbie White. I'm the head stockman at Kalala Station. We're just here today doing some cutter work and some work in the shed today, getting ready to do some fencing, and you are listening to the Country Hour. Well, there's also been plenty of rain in the Sturt Plateau region out to the south of Catherine. Creeks in that region have been on the rise. The Armstrong family has been at Gilnocky since the early 80s, and John. Armstrong there, he says, well, there hasn't been that much rain and this level of uh, flooding since he's been there, since the early 80s.
5: And right now, well, he just won't be able to drive anywhere for quite some time. Yeah, well, it's just been inclement weather, so um, we, can't, we, we certainly can't drive anywhere, and the creek's are slowly coming up. It may even reach uh, record heights here, I don't know, but it's got a fair way to go before that happens. Yeah, the creek, probably another... Um, Another three, only another meter and a half above where it is now, but it'll be at that stage. It'll be um, a kilometer and a half wide going down, going down this, uh, these flood here. Yeah.
0: And so, is that usual for for it to be that high uh, for for weeks? No,
5: no, no. It's only happened a few times. Um, certainly, uh, certainly, um, you know, in the early '80s, we had a few floods like that. But but we haven't had anything like that for a long time. Probably only half a dozen times since I've been here. Since um, you know, since 1985, have we had like in the last 40 years have we had floods that high? And it depends on usually um, fairly big cloud bursts in the in the vicinity of up to 12 inches over 24, 12 or 24 hours. You know, which we sometimes had, but uh, but we haven't. We have as I say. We haven't had that for a long time.
0: And so, what what kind of damages do you think? That could potentially cause the property
5: well, uh, nothing at all here, really um, the ground's hard enough, uh, the cattle know all the where the hard ground is, and um, because it's so very slow running this creek it, it, um, it doesn't uh, cause any floodgate damage, you know only very minor floodgate damage and um, so so in actual fact, no virtually no damage at all. We're just uh, very lucky in that regard.
0: So you're saying you might pause work for a little bit. How, how long do you think um, you won't be able to work for?
5: Well, oh, quite some time. Um, you know, we'd like to be trucking cattle out in April, but um, the way this weather is and, and, and the way the roads have been, after we've had heavy wet seasons before, it may well be the end of May or June before we can put heavy trucks on our road. I don't know, but but we just have to feel that as it comes later on. But uh, it'll certainly be. It'll certainly be quite some time. But one thing we will have to be careful of, and uh, not working, and same with everyone actually up here, in the whole tropical, subtropical north, and that is with this heavy uh, influx of wet season, we're very liable to get um, uh, outbreaks of three-day sickness. So uh, it, 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 is very, it is a very good idea to exercise caution on working cattle too early in the dry season, um, because that'll uh, bring on the symptoms of uh, three-day sickness, and you can easily uh, get some uh, very bad losses from that sort of uh, that from that virus.
0: Have you had a previous experience with three-day sickness?
5: Yeah, three-day sickness. Uh, we had a couple of small infestations years ago when we had cattle up from Alice Springs uh, district on adjustment here. We lost about forty head out of um, eight hundred, I think it was. But um, but certainly, I know that there's been occasions where we've had you know one or two cattle down so i just keep away from working them and keep an eye on them but um i know that uh over on some of the black soil places um in the victoria river district uh there's been there's been occasions where there's been you know quite some substantial losses so 100 head in a yard full of 1200 head um overnight and and there's been occasions where when we've been mustering we have just had to uh just to just to stop mustering straight away because uh the symptoms show up quite clearly on a hot day where the cattle start uh bailing up and hiding under bushes and, and um and, and uh straight away that you can see that they're they're being affected with something so the best idea is just to walk away from them for three or four weeks until they settle down again, the virus goes away.
0: Is is this the best tip It's just to stay away from cattle, right?
5: Yeah. When the mosquitoes are bad, you know. Um Wait, wait for the wait for the mosquitoes to clear away. Wait for the cool weather to come, and then the mosquitoes clear out, and and then with a bit of luck, um, you know, you shouldn't have any three-day sickness. But the mosquitoes obviously spread, spread it, and and uh, it's just something to be really be aware of up here.
0: Are you concerned about the trough coming from Queensland potentially? Yeah, on. yeah,
5: yeah. Well, that, that it's it seems to be very uncertain. The centre of this trough here right now, this low system right here now is uh apparently moved uh in the space of a few hours across across from here to Elliot, um and and um they're saying that it's possibly going to combine you know east of Elliot somewhere but but who knows it could it could turn around do a double half sack back and be, be back over here tomorrow i don't know
0: in terms of roads are you guys cut off already
5: oh yeah most definitely No, we we can't drive to town we came home on saturday and um uh, from being away, and, and uh, we won't be going anywhere now for quite some time, I'd say, we by a vehicle, by probably, um, well, until stops raining and um, the roads dry out. So it could well be, um, it might even be uh, the end of March before we are even able to drive to town. I don't know. We just have to see. But we've got a helicopter here, so we can always fly to town if we need to, as long as there's no rain, of
1: course. John Armstrong, he's from Gilnockie Station. He was speaking there to Yarn Kahoot about all the rain that the Sturt Plateau region has been getting over the last few days. And yeah, as you heard there from John, um, the centre of that tropical low, it is currently sort of around Elliot, And the advice is that it remains slow moving and it will linger in place for the next few days. Uh, there's, so from that heavy rainfall, it may lead to Flash flooding south of Catherine and inland during the next uh, day or two. There's scattered six-hourly rainfall totals of between 80 to 120 millimetres are likely over the next few days. Stay safe if you are out in that region. Uh, We'll be checking in with the Weather Bureau at about five past one, so if you do have any questions for the Bureau, please send them through on 0487 Well, Cattle Australia is calling for the federal government to scrap its proposed biosecurity levy on primary producers, which was announced in last year's budget. The peak body for cattle fed cattle producers, for grass fed cattle producers, was one of 50 ag groups that have sent a letter to the Prime Minister calling for a reversal of the levy, which is intended to collect about $50 million a year. Cattle Australia Chief Executive Dr Chris Parker says the way the proposed levy is set out at the moment is unfair on the ag industry.
2: Well, I think what we do see is there's some significant inequities um, and some significant challenges with this. The first is is that industries across the board are already paying significant amounts of uh, their existing levies towards biosecurity activities. The second thing is is that... uh, uh, there are lots of industries who aren't levied um, and uh, and are getting a free run at this. Um, the third thing is, is the significant inequities in the manner in which this is done. The the, the one-size-fits-all uh, is not going to work um, and uh, we're a bit disappointed in the consultation process and the government needs to, uh, to have a further discussion around how it's going to address these concerns from industry.
1: The government says that this levy will see the ag industry pay just 6%. Of Australia's biosecurity system, and it's taxpayers and and importers who are paying ninety two percent of biosecurity costs. How is that not fair?
2: So what we're saying here is that um, producers are also paying within that ninety two percent because it's taxpayer dollars, and we're all taxpayers. So uh, we're already paying there. And, and this is another thing that we're calling for is, is that there hasn't been any proper economic modelling done on who the beneficiaries are of this. Um, are we thinking about someone who's running a, uh, a four-wheel drive uh, tourism business in, uh, in the north who relies on the pristine environment? Um, suddenly are they less or more of a beneficiary than someone who's running cattle in that environment? And I think that's the sort of work that we need to see so we can have some proper policy in this space. Um, that's equitable for all people involved.
1: What do you think a fair amount would be for ag producers to
2: pay? Well, what I think is it's it's not to me to tell the government what ag producers should pay. I I would suggest that Well, you've told them you you
1: don't think they should pay 6%.
2: They're already paying a significant amount of money through their existing levies for biosecurity activities and that's also not taken into account. So I think the whole system needs to be looked at um, and we need to be able to also have an understanding if they are going to put this in place, we need a clear understanding of where this money is going to be spent and we're after a, a, a long-term and, and genuine engagement with, uh, with producer groups around where this money is spent and how it's going to be accounted for.
1: This uh, levy could see um, an extra 50 cents per beast that's sold in Australia. Yeah, as you said, it's a transaction-based is there another way that it could work without having a, a beast pay multiple times? Well, I
2: think given, as, as you have just pointed out, and I think that's a really relevant point to this and another one of the inequities that we'd like to see work through, what we're seeing is beasts are transacted more than once. So each time they're transacted they're paying the 50 cents, if that's the amount that they decide on. Um, and that means that uh, for the grass-fed cattle industry, that uh, the levy's being paid multiple times. Um, and there are uh, other mechanisms uh, that may be able to be used rather than hitching onto a transaction levy, um, and uh, and we need to again, as part of that broader economic modelling, uh, see some options in this space. And uh, and we just haven't uh, had that opportunity to see them. And uh, the government's been uh, reasonably uh, tight-lipped about uh, about how it's going to be implemented and how these inequities are going to be uh, going to be fixed.
1: What are some other potential
2: options? again, we would rather see it not linked to levies. Um, If there's a genuine request as far as they believe that there is uh, industry needs to pay, then we need to be thinking about those mechanisms that uh, allow us to address that inequity. And I mean, in essence, if you, we should be able to just pay once if they're going to actually introduce this. Um, and uh, should it be based on transactions or should it be based on a percentage of GDP or should it be based on a percentage of the way uh, the way uh, these animals are actually going through the system and which parts of the system pay? Again, they're all matters for government who are looking to impose this levy upon industry and there's been no explanation about why they chose this particular mechanism.
1: Why do you think you're not getting much traction with the government on this issue?
2: Well, it's not just us. Um, it's uh, agricultural uh, industries uh, across the board and you'll see there were over 50 who, uh, who signed that letter um, and uh, I think uh, government realised this would be a problem, um, uh, put it in place in the budget, uh, ran a uh, consultation process that really didn't address, you know, industries concerned across the board and uh, are now potentially looking to implement something uh, which uh, we believe is uh, ill thought through. Chris
1: Parker, he's the chief Executive of Cattle Australia, the peak body for grass-fed cattle producers, speaking there about this biosecurity levy. And yeah, according to the federal government, uh, from next financial year, producers will pay six percent of the biosecurity costs from around Australia. 44 percent will be paid by taxpayers, importers will pay 48 and Australia post a just two percent. Hey, g'day,
4: this is Dyson McBean. We're out here on Florena Road working on a few rodeo cattle and you're listening to The Country Hour.
1: G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald is my name with The Country Hour on this Thursday lunchtime. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Still to come up soon, we're going to be hearing from a Territorian who is doing some really interesting work over in Afghanistan and he's all about trying to help... The farmers there move away from growing opium poppies. That's been a big part of analysing the crops, um,
3: building the markets, and then uh, linking the the businesses to the farmers um, to give them a real alternatives. And working out what are the what are the alternatives that can
1: actually offer the similar rate of return. Yeah, his story will be on the program very soon. First up, let's cross to the Weather Bureau where we've got Billy Lynch there today. Uh, Billy, tell us about some of the rainfall figures overnight. Uh, Quite a few more places with 100 mil plus, hey?
6: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so this tropical low, it's currently near Elliott. Um, So Elliott's picked up 56 millimetres, but um, as has been the case for most of this weather event, most of the heavier falls are on the western side of the low, so that puts the the Big River catchment right in the firing line. Um, that's where the heaviest falls have been, where we've seen sort of widespread 50s to 100s. Um, the best ones have been Birambah Station with 193. Uh, Montageni, 142. Uh, some other ones, uh, Shoeing bore 121. Um, And then across the Daly District, um, yeah, it's sort of been, we've seen anywhere from, you know, 25 mils up to 100 mils, um, with the best one being Gawley with 124 millimetres. Um, And then, yeah, some other places across the sort of waterhouse, Gilnocky's had 122, uh, or part of the roper catchment, I should say. Um, Daly Waters has had 56, I mean, I could go on. It's quite a long list of rainfall,
1: but yeah. they the better ones. Yeah, and some of it has sort of stretched down um, into uh, the, uh, the, the Barclay region. I can see Helen Springs, 61 millimetres, and, yeah, 56 at Daly Waters, and a few out sort of um, in the Carpentaria, Kyana, 29. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit out that way. Um, where is uh, going to get the most sort of rain in the next
6: day or two? Is there more for the Barclay region? Absolutely, yeah. So this tropical low, it's deep, it's not showing any signs of weakening and it's slow moving. So um, really all those um, regions that have seen the rain in the last 24, 48, 72 hours expecting more rainfall to come. Um, yeah, if anything, the low may drift a little further east in the next 24 hours, so maybe east of Elliot. Um, which means there could be some heavier falls uh, in that sort of Elliott-Stewart Highway region, um, but definitely going to continue across the, the Vic River catchment, the northern Barclay. Um And, yeah, I guess we're looking at sort of widespread 50 to 100 millimetres um, as 24-hour totals uh, with some isolated falls, you know, possibly getting up to around the 200 mark. And given that it's such a slow-moving system, um, there's probably another three, four, possibly five days of rainfall um, before it, it. Eventually, we're expecting it to move into Western Australia next week.
1: Yeah, okay, and that that could mean some a lot more river level rises. Um, we've seen that the Victoria River at the Vic River Roadhouse there, um, the the river is up over the bridge, and that bridge is uh, almost 20 metres. Um, the Daly River is also have some minor flooding out, um, moderate flooding expected from. This afternoon, so um, yeah, plenty to watch out for if you're in the Victoria and the Daly regions.
6: Yeah, most definitely. I mean, obviously there's flood watches and flood warnings out, and it's uh, almost certain that there'll be another, you know, two, three, possibly 400 millimetres falling across, um, probably not the Daly, but definitely the Vic River uh, region. Um, So yeah, there's no doubt rivers are going to continue to to rise, and people need to yeah take precautions and and get ready if they're they're not already prepared
1: yep and we should just note that um if you have been looking at the bureau's um river levels in the Vic River region um there seems to be an issue there at the Vic River crossing um gauge
6: yeah that's right it's um so we don't actually own any of the the river gauges so just point that out um <laughs> okay <laughs> But, uh yeah, something went wrong with it, uh, and so we we have removed that data um, from our website because it's it 's not giving reliable data um, same with, with it uh, kalcaringi there 's some telecommunication issues out that way too.
1: yeah, we understand the um, uh, there's no phone service out that Kalkaingi area um Billy, just quickly, central australia it 's still hot, um, but is there any chance of rain coming down that way and cooling things down?
6: Yeah, there is, because it's, it's quite humid, um, so we are anticipating you know, isolated showers and, and thunderstorms uh, south of Tennant Creek and, and towards the Alice Springs region. Um, the southwest corner will probably struggle, just probably not quite humid enough um, today, tomorrow, uh, and probably the weekend as well, so... Uh, Remaining very hot around Curtin Springs and Wataka. But once that low moves into Western Australia next week, then there's probably a fair chance showers and thunderstorms spreading right across southern parts of the, the territory as well. Okay, thanks for the update, Billy.
1: Thank you, Dan. That is Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. And yeah, just repeating, there's a lot of warnings about there's a severe weather warning for large parts of the the Daly, the Arnhem, the Carpentaria and down into the Barclay regions. There's also some flood warnings out for the Daly and the Victoria River. Uh, Stay up to date via the ABC or the Bureau's website.
2: New from ABC Books. We've already fallen in love with mustard dogs.
0: No one would have predicted that a show about a bundle of puppies could take the nation by storm.
2: Now, the series narrator, Lisa Miller, takes you behind the scenes in the new book, Mustard Dogs from Pups to Pros.
0: Like so many of the shoots, not everything went to plan. I mean, they were working with animals, right?
2: Mustard Dogs from Pups to Pros by Lisa Miller. Book and audiobook available in bookstores and online.
1: It's 12 past one here on The Country Hour. and My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for joining me. Well, Afghanistan has long been the world's largest producer of opium poppies. But since the Taliban regained control of the country, that illicit crop has been banned. Now, helping Afghan farmers to find alternative crops that are viable and legal so that they can make a living is Andrew Phillip from the Northern Territory. Uh, Matt Brand spoke to him about the role and life in Afghanistan.
3: That's actually my current role. Um, I'm working on an anti-poppy program, so reducing uh, farmers' reliance on poppies, finding them alternatives. So that's been a big part of analysing the crops, um, building the markets and then uh, linking the the businesses to the farmers um, to give them a real alternatives and working out what are the what are the alternatives that can actually offer the similar rate of return. Um, interesting enough, I'm I'm back working in the cotton industry over there with the rise in the cotton pricing. Cotton um, is is quite a a reasonable alternative to poppy production, so um, working on that. Um, the other thing we've really got going for us at the moment this year, and it's really important that we do assist the farmers, is that the current government has actually banned uh, poppy production in Afghanistan. Right. So- because
7: unlike poppy production, say in Tasmania, that goes towards the pharmaceutical painkillers, the poppies over there are going to a more sinister End product, yes. Yes,
3: yeah, so there's no there's no access to the um, licit trade of um, of opium. Um, so it is has all been um, yes, yeah, certainly destined for for the street um, side of things. But, and the
7: Taliban wants an end to that.
3: Well, it's against their ideology. So at right. the moment, they're certainly um, certainly pushing to eliminate it. And ninety plus percent of the districts we're working in, the farmers will not be growing poppy this year
7: right so that's it's a big part of your job sort of going to local farmers saying i know you've been making a lot of money with this crop poppies but here's some more legal options that can give you good returns
3: yeah so our program works in a a number of different ways so we've got direct um, linkage to farmers and a lot of that's around um, assisting them with um, orchard developments so planting pistachios or planting um, pomegranates, or, or planting apples, uh, stone fruit, persimmons, etc. Right. Um, another another component uh, we have a irrigation development, so repairing um, channels, etc., or building building dams, small dams for community side of things. And then the section I come in is on the on the marketing, so linking businesses back to the communities that we're working with to 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 show them that there are real alternatives to poppies. Because, again, the guys that have um, been promoting poppies guaranteeing to take the product, obviously. So we've got to give them an alternative uh, to, that they know they're going to get a return from to feed their families.
7: Yeah. And how's it going?
3: Well, obviously, like from my point of view, this, this program I'm on, I've only been on for six months, but I, I certainly see that at making inroads um, and on the back of, uh, I guess, the government sort of pushing it as well. But again, it's, it's really gained that market, market linkage. And that's the important thing that farmers are linked to it. Um, the security situation previously didn't allow businesses to get to these districts and provinces. Yeah. Well, the situation at the moment is is a lot better than what it was so businesses are able to travel to these districts meet the farmers face to face um, rather than having middlemen or collectors um, doing and they're able to potentially build build relationships
7: is there an export market for afghanistan that's doing really well right now
3: um absolutely it's um it's it's quite surprising a lot of the products because they're high value are export crops and Mm And we, I do a lot of focus on that side of things. So things like uh, raisins, majority would be exported. And um, there's specialty almonds. Yeah, they may not be able to compete with Australian or um, or uh, American almonds, for example, because of the scale. But they're they're specialty, they're, they're basically organically grown, um, things like that. Pistachios grow wild. Um, pine nuts grow wild. Walnuts grow wild. Oh, wow. There's this range of crops that are in big volumes, cumin, um, yeah, there's a range of crops that are exported in in big numbers.
7: So, and pine nuts are worth a lot of money. Yeah, pine nuts. Are <laughs> th- Thirty. I yeah. bought them from the store. <laughs> well, yeah,
3: surprisingly, <laughs> like I think they're about fifty. Like the wholesale value is about fifty US um, or fifty Australian a kilo. Yeah. Other other crops. Uh, apricots is very big, both oh. fresh and and dried. A range of different uh, varieties on the fresh side of things. Um, melons, apples, pomegranates. Um, are all the, uh, the big end of, uh, of the things. But then you've got a range of different, um, like, spices and seeds. Like, saffron is really big. Um, and just other things that we don't really realise where they come from, the cardamom and basil seeds and watermelon seeds. And it's amazing the array of, um, of products that are available.
7: Yeah. And they must have a fair bit of water then.
3: Well, yeah. So it's only 13% of the country that's actually arable. Uh, that's the river valleys, Yep. so 87% of the country is mountainous. So it's basically the Hindu Kush, which is the Himalayas, um, so snow melt um, coming down, uh, so that's where the, the water comes from, plus um, spring rain um, allows for dry land irrigation of, uh, of a number of um, number of crops.
7: If you're tuning in, this is the Country right? and we're speaking to Andrew Phillip, who well, for the last couple of years has been working full-time in Afghanistan, as a markets and marketing specialist, can we talk more just about life in Afghanistan? I mean, for for a, for a white male from Australia, what is it like?
3: Um, yeah, especially for someone that doesn't speak the local language, and I uh, haven't haven't quite caught on to that. It's, um, I guess, for me, I'm I'm working with. With a, with a team of uh, local staff. So I think there's about 150 um, plus people in my program. Um, we're working um, based out of Kabul, but we also work in six provinces uh, throughout Afghanistan. Um, and so I guess we've been basically living in compounds, but we travel every day to, to the office um, and then, on a I guess a irregular basis, or we will be coming on a regular basis, travel to the to the regions um, to visit our projects, uh, talk to businesses, talk to farmers, and and that sort of thing. So, it's um, it is interesting. Um, I, I wouldn't say there are people that are certainly living in in the normal society. Um, I'm, I'm still yeah due to our protocols. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's still a little bit. Um, yeah, it's not It's not quite uh, local living, that's for sure. Do you feel unsafe at times? Um, no, at, at, I've always felt safe there. Yep. I, I, I joke about it, but it's probably the fact. I've, um, I'm probably a lot safer in Afghanistan than what I am in the, when I
7: was working in the Territory. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. That says more about the Northern Territory, unfortunately.
3: I, <laughs> just to do with hitting Buffalo and things like <laughs> yeah, that. <so>. Yeah, okay.
7: <laughs> um, because in, in 2021, when the Taliban regained power there in Afghanistan. I mean, where were you during that period? What was that like?
3: Um, I was actually in hotel quarantine. I was home for um, yeah, a, a holidays, basically. So right. I, I missed the um, evacuation. Um, but a lot of my yeah, um, team members and everything went through that. And obviously, yeah, being in touch with them and, and obviously a lot of uh, confusion on the ground and everything, it was, um, as much as in hindsight, it probably went quite a- orderly. <laughs> There's certainly some stories of guys of uh, of trying to get out and get through the gates of the airport and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So it's certainly a mad scramble. Um, yeah, so I did, I did miss that side of things, but certainly have uh, plenty of stories for how, how things were on the ground. But there was a number of people that um, did stay behind and a number of people that um, come back into the country um, reasonably quickly. There's certainly a lot less expats there now than what there was previously.
7: You're back there working now. Do you engage with the Taliban much?
3: Um, yeah, so I guess the, when you say the Taliban, the, the current government, um, yes. yeah, so I, even on a regional basis, so um, the the people in, in high positions in government, so the governor or the head of the agricultural department uh, are Taliban officials. Yep. So, yeah, like um, on my last trip, I, I had a meeting with um, one of the governors and, yeah, the head of agriculture who were Taliban, and well, I guess they still are, and uh, yeah, had a great meeting, and uh, then they took me out to show me areas which um, they would like um, support to assist with community development, and right. uh, it was really great having that uh, interaction and understanding, I guess, their view of the world as well.
7: If I was able to teleport myself to Afghanistan to have a, have a weekend hanging out with you, Andrew Phillips, what's a special spot in Afghanistan that, that you think, wow, I wish, I wish everyone could get to see this?
3: Um, I, there's so many places I, I haven't got to, but it is just, uh, amazing like driving through it. But then I guess, um, and I think something that you'd appreciate is, is sitting down with a group of farmers, either in a, a mud hut or un, under a tree on a, on a mat. Yeah. And discussing the issues, um, no different to what you would be doing here or, or I've done when I've been here in the Territory. It's, the issues that farmers face are, are the same worldwide. And, like, yeah, the scenery is spectacular, that's for sure, in, in certain places, like you, just the mountain ranges, and then coming back to running streams and, and irrigation side of things. It is amazing. There's so many spot, and so many places I haven't visited yet, which I'm, I'm hoping
7: to certainly visit some more. Do you think farmers in Australia could learn from something that you've seen in Afghanistan? Um, it's, it's really,
3: like, I guess the, as much as there's some similarities, uh, it's really chalk and cheese. Like, the average size of farmers I'm working with are probably half an acre. Um, and and being able to put a supply chain together, and that's probably one of the, the things that I, I see as the real challenges. Like where in Australia one individual farm can put a supply chain together mm. uh, to service a market, um, in Afghanistan you're potentially working with 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 farmers to build enough volume to target, uh, to target your customers. And so they're the real challenges. But that comes down to yeah, working on the logistics and, and communication and systems and processes. It's, um, it is quite amazing.
7: Wonderful to see you. You're you're due back pretty soon, heading into their summer. I yes, yeah, 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 yep.
3: So unfortunately, missing the dry season here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Be safe and thanks for your time. No, thanks very much. That is Andrew Phillip from Darwin. He was speaking there to Matt Brown about his work in Afghanistan. Time now for a tune. This is Luke Coombs with Fast Car. So, Coombs there with Fast Car, and we're just about coming to the end of the Country Hour. If you missed the start of the program, we heard from the new chief executive of Cattle Australia, the peak body for grass-fed cattle producers, and he was calling on the federal government to scrap its proposed biosecurity levy, which could see livestock producers pay around 50 cents every time a beast is sold. And this is all to go towards raising about $50 million a year for biosecurity.
2: Well, I think what we do see is there's some significant inequities um, and some significant challenges with this. The first is is that industries across the board are already paying significant amounts of uh, their existing levies towards biosecurity activities. The second thing is is that uh, uh, there are lots of industries who aren't levied um, and uh, and are getting a free run at this um, the third thing is, is the significant equities in the manner in which this is done. The, the, the one-size-fits-all uh, is not going to work um, and uh, we're a bit disappointed in the consultation process and the government needs to, uh, to have a further discussion around how it's going to address these concerns from industry.
1: Yeah, that's the thoughts of Chris Parker from Cattle Australia. If you want to hear the full chat with uh, Dr Chris there, you can catch that via the Country Hours podcast, which is pretty easy to find. Just go into the ABC Listen app and search an all in territory country hour. You can catch all of our programs there. That is it for the program for today. I'll speak to you tomorrow.